Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Spencer Feldman. That's what the the information on the foreign genetic material is. It says make toxic protein, right? So it either runs out of raw materials and it stalls until it gets more in, which is now draining your body of all of your resources to make this increasingly long strand of toxic protein, or eventually the cell itself explodes like a like a pimple, I guess. It just blows open because the pressure inside from the the toxic protein that keeps growing just blows it open and now you've got this enormously long uh, strand of toxic protein now why do i say enormously long well dna is about six feet long even though it's wrapped up in the cell so the toxic protein won't be able to be that tightly wound but it's not unreasonable to think you might have a one foot long piece of a toxic protein in the cell that blows out and so when you see people at autopsy and the, the autopsy uh, the coroner is pulling out or the um the embalmer is pulling out these you know one foot long fibrous clots out of people's arteries veins well i think that's what it is i think it's these enormously long toxic protein strands that have gotten in and bound with other ones and just made these enormous uh, blood clots We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Today, we welcome back a very brilliant researcher and practitioner, Spencer Feldman. Now, Spencer Feldman was on the Keto Camp podcast just a few months ago, uh, end of July, 2023. And I brought him back because we had so many comments saying, bring him back, bring him back. He took a deep dive on that episode into histamine intolerance being the uh, reason for many mysterious symptoms. And what's, what's interesting about that episode is that YouTube, and, and we're going to talk about this, you'll hear it, but YouTube ended up flagging that conversation that we had with Spencer back in July, removing it from my YouTube channel and giving us a warning with a, a flag, essentially that lasts for like three months, meaning our, our accounts under uh, some sort of, not a suspension, but what's the word they used? It, it's flag. So if we make another error or mistake or, or they call it misinformation, then we would be suspended. So it was a warning and the warning is there for the next few months. It's so stupid. They essentially were saying, his information was misinformation and the WHO says these, and I could actually say this on the podcast, I can't say it on the YouTube interview, but the WHO says these vaccines are safe and effective and anything else that goes against that is misinformation. And 
we were talking about the side effects of these vaccines. And unfortunately, they removed it. I submitted an appeal to YouTube, submitted a whole bunch of research and anecdotal evidence. And within 24 hours, they said, no, we don't care about that. So unfortunately, that's what's happening on YouTube. But we brought him on and we were really careful. We brought him back, I should say, Spencer. And we were really careful. We, we brainstormed because we didn't want to get another flag on YouTube. The podcast is different. We haven't gotten anything removed on the podcast, thankfully, but YouTube is different. So we use different language, but here's what I want you to understand. Instead of using the word vaccine, we're referring to the COVID vaccine. And let me preface this by saying we respect everybody's decision to get it or not get it. It's about freedom of choice. I want to preface it with that. But instead of using the word vaccine, he uses the word, the words safe and effective. And instead of using mRNA, he uses the words foreign genetic code. And instead of using the word spike protein, he uses the word toxic amino acid group, like toxic protein uh, group or toxic protein. So those are the code words there because you'll hear him say safe and effective, foreign genetic code, toxic protein. But you can see we're referring to the vaccine, the mRNA, the spike protein. This is a very important episode. Look, if you know somebody, who has gotten vaccinated with COVID, one, two, three, or I don't know how many shots they've gotten, but they're struggling with their symptoms. They're in the cell danger response. They have long COVID symptoms. They're dealing with some issues. This is a very life important, life-changing conversation that they need to hear or watch on YouTube because Spencer has done so much research into how to remove this spike protein into how to get the cells functioning again. Um, he's going to share some crazy stats. I mean, I was getting goosebumps during, throughout the whole interview about the spike protein found in the blood six months later. He gives a really brilliant analogy about how the DNA and epigenetics works, what happens to the cells with mRNA, how the spike protein causes the brain to sink and cause anger and violence. And he believes that's why we're seeing so much outrage out there with violence and mass shootings and people being angry. Spike protein leads to blood clots. Protein sequences lead to 20 different, well, he talks about the different sequences that were made for the vaccine from different animals. It's crazy. He talks about the spike protein turbocharging cancers, creating prions that are creating misfolded proteins, how it disrupts the immune system. And so much more. Looking at the notes here, it's incredible. But he doesn't just give you the problem. He gives you the actual solution. And he actually has developed some products specifically for the COVID vaccine, uh, vaccine injured. So his website is remedylink.com. We'll reference all of that. Then we get into some cool things at the end regarding my lab work. I selfishly was asking him questions about my labs and he was giving me some coaching. He talked about albumin being a very important lab marker, the higher, the better. He was actually really impressed with my albumin levels. He told me congratulations on that. Uh, I discovered that my bun and creatinine ratio was high, meaning I'm, not, I'm eating too much protein in one sitting. That could be a problem for a lot of carnivores. So you hear about that and how to fix that. We'll talk about the benefits of a 14-day water fast once a year, methylation, membrane flushing for vegetable oils, and a lot more. This is one of those episodes you want to put your geeky thinking cap on and take a lot of notes. Before I bring on Spencer Feldman, I want to get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Angel titled, I love this podcast. Ben is informative, knowledgeable, and willing to freely share his secrets of the ketogenic lifestyle. 
His mission is to help 1 billion people get healthy. That's right, Angel. Thank you so much. And I love that you use the word ketogenic lifestyle, not ketogenic diet. Well said. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the show and taking the time to leave that rating and review. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review as of yet, please do so. It really makes a big, big difference for the show to grow. Hey, today we have our free detox and toxicity masterclass taking place at 12 p.m. Eastern time, November 10th. I don't know what time you're listening to this or maybe you're listening to it later on, but if you're listening to this on time and you want to join that free training, we do. We will have a 24-hour replay. Head over to toxinsmasterclass.com. It's going to be a very important masterclass for you to join. All right, let's take a deep dive into the vaccine-injured protocol with Spencer Feldman. Spencer Feldman is the founder of RemedyLink.com. He is a mad scientist in the best way possible. He has been creating incredible products for natural detoxification. He has done a tremendous amount of research for holistic health, alternative medicine, and I've been using his products for years. I learned about him through Dr. Pampa. He trains us. Dr. Pampa has brought him into our group of doctors and trained us on different protocols, and we're blessed to have him back. So here's Spencer Feldman. Spencer Feldman, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. You were just on a few months ago, and I know that we had discussed there was so much that we didn't even talk about during that episode. There was so much I could chat with you about. So we're here doing a round two. I even asked my audience, uh, should we do a round two? And I got a whole bunch of comments saying, bring, bring Spencer back. So Spencer is back with us. And something is interesting that happened between our previous episode and our episode today, YouTube actually decided to flag our conversation and remove it from the channel, giving me a warning of uh, misinformation. And we can't really get into the details because then we'll get shut down with this video. But what are your thoughts on that happening to us and just the censorship that's happening these days? It's disappointing that we don't value free discourse and don't trust enough that if all the information is put in front of us that we're all smart enough through dialogue and experiments to determine what is true and what is false. So it's sort of like this, uh, this toxic mother syndrome where some people think that they have the right and responsibility to tell other full-grown adults what they can and can't talk about or learn or think. And, you know, it's it's part of a grand cycle of humanity where uh, hopefully uh, going to come out of this uh, in a few years, but um, that's where we're at now as a species. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, toxic mother syndrome. It's funny because when YouTube did that, they allowed a, an appeal to be filed. And I did, and we submitted all the studies we could find, and they still said no, uh, misinformation, blah, blah, blah. So they ended up not putting the video back, and our account is flagged until I think the end of December. But they also required for me to take this... Um, little quiz uh, that they require whenever we get flagged and it runs through the 12 questions and 12 different examples. If this person says this, is this misinformation? And they require you to say yes, even though I really believe it's not. So it's just so stupid, the, the things that are happening on YouTube. It's unfortunate. So they sent you to a digital uh, re-education camp. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
today's conversation, we're going to be really careful with the language that we use. But I think the way that we uh, game planned ahead of time, Spencer came up with some key terms. So we're not actually saying the words, but for those watching and listening, you'll know what we're talking about. So what are the what are the key terms that we're going to be using today, Spencer? Well, I think it'll make sense as we we use them. So let's talk about some decisions that people were ma made either because they felt it was a good decision or they were pressured into do it. And they did something that was, they were told was safe and effective. And it's now late 2023. And we're seeing a lot of health issues we've really never seen before. Uh, very young people having heart attacks, um, really aggressive cancers, chronic conditions of people that were previously very healthy. And, you know, there's evidence that this was from some safe and effective choices and some toxic proteins that those choices created and from foreign genetic material that were in those safe and effective choices. So with that being said, let me share with you some information I have uh, that your audience may find useful. And this, I'll just say that this is a very important episode for those watching and listening. If you know anybody who's made those safe and effective choices and they're dealing with symptoms, this is a must because Spencer is about to give you a masterclass on what to do. So go ahead, Spencer. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So what we're finding or what researchers have found is that there are toxic proteins being found uh, six months after someone made a safe and effective choice, six months later in the blood. Now, that suggests one of several things, because, you know, the body has the ability to break down proteins that don't belong there, usually, uh, or at least sequester them. So there has to be an ongoing source of it. So one possibility is they have a, a viral infection reservoir in the body that they never got rid of, and it's continually making these toxic proteins. Sure, that's possible. Although I don't think so. I think normally for most people, when they get a reservoir infection, normally it goes dormant uh, and only comes out when they're really weak. So I don't think that's the case for most people who are experiencing this. Um, another possibility is um, through reverse transcriptase, uh, some of the foreign genetic material that these uh, that people may have chosen to, use, to incorporate into their body has now made its way uh, into their genetic code. And you know, I, I think I was one of the first people to talk about endogenous reverse transcriptase and this actually happening. Having said that, DNA is a library, but not the librarian. It doesn't on its own open up and release materials. It has to be triggered to do so. So in the event that some foreign genetic code from a safe and effective choice did make its way into its DNA, while that is very problematic for a lot of reasons, I don't think necessarily it means an increase of toxic proteins per se, unless the particular section that it was put into or found its way into is something that gets turned on on a regular basis. It's kind of going for the ride. It's sort of like it got attached to a dictionary and then the librarian keeps pulling out the dictionary, but then there's this, you know, God awful book next to the dictionary. So think of the DNA as a library with a bunch of books. The books are inert until the librarian goes and grabs one and opens it up and starts reading. So if a bad book got into the library, that's not necessarily a problem unless it's attached to a book that's getting taken out a lot and, and read a lot. And then you end up reading both books. Does that, and then therefore making 
well, the way DNA works is it's, it's a library of how to make mostly proteins, right? So if I don't think, my, my gut instinct tells me that while it's certainly not a good idea to have foreign genetic material in your DNA, that's not what's causing the toxic protein buildup. The third is that the foreign genetic material is in the cells and is continually making the toxic protein. I think that's what's happening mostly. In any case, in all three cases, we have to deal with the toxic proteins because they're there at six months. So there's got to be a source where they keep they keep being made because they will be broken down slowly. So uh, the other thing is we want to stop. So we want to deal with the toxic proteins that are being created, but we also have to be a little bit, we have to think a little more deeply and we don't want to always be putting out fires. We want to get to the sparks, right? So we also have to think about how do we deal with the foreign genetic material that's in the cells that is creating, uh, hijacking the body's internal mechanisms to make the toxic proteins? Okay, so let's start. Those are two things we want to do. If, if you're dealing with the side effects of a safe and effective choice, we want to deal with not only the toxic proteins, but also the foreign genetic prod, code that is generating those toxins. So let's start first with the toxic proteins. Yeah, and I love the li library versus librarian analogy. I've never heard that one before, and it makes total sense. Yeah, you know, a number of years ago, um, some Angela Jolie and uh, had her breasts removed prophylactically and Ben Stiller, his prostate, if I understand correctly, because not that there was anything wrong with her breasts or his prostate, but because they were told by a doctor after a genetic test, oh, you have genes for prostate cancer and breast cancer. And what a travesty that was, because just because there's a book in the library doesn't mean that book ever gets taken out and read. You know, if you can have a good conversation with your librarian and say, hey, I don't ever want you to take those books out. Those books are, are, are trouble, right? Leave them there. Then it doesn't matter. You know, um, Angela and Ben could have lived their entire lives without breast and prostate cancer, respectively, if they'd understand it, understood epigenetics. Um, but that's a conversation, you know, and but it's a bit late for them. They made a surgical decision. What percentage of uh, disease cancer included is epigenetics and what percentage is just strictly genetics, nothing you can do about it? I have no idea. Um, and I'm not even sure how we would go to necessarily answer that question, but I would suspect that most of it is epigenetic, but as we move forward as a species and the genes get weaker and weaker, the genetic side of that is increasing. Interesting, okay. So let's start first with the toxic proteins. These are neurotoxic and they accumulate in the brain. They actually cause the brain to shrink. So when you look about the world now in 2023 with us on the verge of world war everywhere you look and, and violence and craziness that you know, really started, you could say it started with, I guess, Antifa, right? Um, all of these people who are just looking for an excuse to be violent. I think what we're seeing is the, uh, brain damage. I, you know, if, if you look in uh, old age homes of people that have Alzheimer's and brain damage, they can become very violent and angry people. Violence and anger and, and madness is a side effect of brain damage. So the madness and violence we're seeing in the world, I believe, is caused by brain damage. And I think this is the main cause of it. I think we're going, you know, we're going mad as a species as a result of safe and effective choices. So... So that that's that would include mass shootings that we see. Uh, we just saw one today, actually, that happened in Maine. So you, you're you're yeah. putting that in that same category: a anger and violence, oh, mass shootings included. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, the road rage, all of it, just the the general craziness um, that we're seeing. So these 
toxic proteins are also, among, uh, in addition to being neurotoxic, they're among the most thrombocytic compounds known to man. And that, that means they're really, really good at making blood clots. So now that's where we're seeing there's a, a, these little kids having heart attacks. I mean, that, that never happened, regardless of whether they want to plaster buses with posters all across the world saying, hey, heart attacks don't just happen to adults. No, don't, you know, don't try to gaslight us. Heart attacks don't happen to kids. And if they do, something's wrong. So what else is wrong with these uh, the toxic proteins that people are finding in their bodies? Well, we now know that there are protein sequences from 20 different venomous snakes. And that was, would include fossil lipases, which dissolve motor nerve terminals and muscle membranes, and then metalloproteinases, which cause hemorrhage, necrosis, and zinc deficiency. There's 15 protein sequences found from toxic snails called conotoxins, which damage acetylcholine, that's nerves, and that also is what gives you the loss of um, smell and taste that some people have uh, presented with. And then there's one from a starfish. So 36 different animal venoms. No wonder this toxic protein is causing so many problems. It's also carcinogenic. It increases the odds of getting cancer. It reactivates cancers that were in remission. And it takes slow-growing growing cancers and makes them grow at vastly accelerated rates known as turbo cancers. So someone could say uh, they go to their doctor with a little lump and the doctor goes, oh, um, the cancer that you've had in remission for the last 20 years has come back. And then they're dead a month later because the cancer grew that fast. Wow. Right. And also I mentioned it causes the brain to shrink and that's not hyperbole. Uh, the toxic proteins enter the brain via the bone marrow and then through the meninges. Uh, so we finally figured out the way in which they get in. And we're also seeing these toxic proteins trigger new cases of Alzheimer's as well as amplify cases that are already there. And this last part is of particular interest. It was kind of like a, a smoking gun to help understand part of what's going on. Alzheimer's, uh, along with most neurologic conditions, are associated with prions. You probably remember the term prion from mad cow disease that was you know, going uh, a big th thing in the media a decade or so ago. Well, the body has lots of prions. It's not just the one from mad cow. And a prion basically means a misfolded protein. So let me explain how that works. You've got the, the library, you got the DNA, and epigenetically it's, it's told, hey, I need this particular protein. So the DNA opens up, it unzips, um, RNA gets created, and that then is attached to, uh, or what grabs onto that is a ribosome, which goes along the length of the RNA and extrudes out a series of amino acids. In a, in, a, in a chain. They go through four different folding patterns. And in the last one, the protein is done. And now you have this little glob of a particular shape. And it's the shape and the charge is what does the work of the protein. Now, the way in which most proteins work is there are fat-soluble and water-soluble amino acids that it's made out of. The fat-soluble ones are on the inside of the glob and the water-soluble ones on the outside. And that lets the protein be water-soluble and move around. If a protein misfolds, then you have the fat-soluble part sticking out somewhere. And so now you've got a fat-soluble protein and the fat-soluble part can get stuck in, in fatty tissue somewhere, a nerve, a cell membrane, and you can't get rid of it because it's stuck there because it's fat-soluble. 
Now we have mechanisms to refold damaged proteins and get rid of damaged proteins, um, but there's also a bunch that we just have, we can't do much about. And so prions are these misfolded proteins. Now, it turns out that the body has the ability to break down the toxic protein from safe and effective decisions. It takes a long time, and I don't think we break down near as much as is being created in some people, but the ability is there. And it does it with something, an enzyme called neutrophil elastase, which is, if it ends in ASE, it's an enzyme, and neutrophil tells you the white blood cell came out of. So this is an enzyme from a white blood cell. And what they've now discovered is that when the toxic protein is broken down, whether it's by the body or by a supplement you took, and we can get it, we're going to get into that. There are at least seven protein fragments that it breaks into that are believed to be prions, these misfolded proteins. And I believe it's these seven misfolded proteins or seven different prions that are what are causing the Alzheimer's and the shrinking of the brain and the madness we're seeing in the around the world. So it's not enough to just break down the toxic proteins. We're also then going to have to deal with all the prions, fragments that are created when you break it. And I, I want you to think of it like this. Um, you're in a war and a tank is coming your way and you have a, you know, a, a shoulder-mounted anti-tank weapon and you set it off, hits the tank, tank blows up. But uh, before the tank is engulfed in flames, the top of the tank cover comes off and out jump seven enemy soldiers with machine guns. Clearly, the job is not over. The tank is not going to be a problem anymore, but now you got these seven guys and machine guns causing you, causing you problems. So when we're dealing with the toxic proteins, it's not enough to break them down. We also have to deal with what they break down into. It's like, a, like seven booby traps inside of there. But let's first talk about breaking them down. Hey, before you talk about breaking it down, Spencer, would this toxic protein be problematic for somebody who did not make that safe and effective decision, that choice? So can someone who did not make a safe and effective choice have toxic proteins in them? Theoretically, yes. If someone is sexually active with someone that has made a, sec a safe and effective choice, then there is the possibility of a transfer of the proteins and even a possibility of the transfer of the foreign genetic material. I have a hard time thinking that it's going to happen in amounts that would do much of anything, and yet there are plenty of women who have experienced menstrual irregularities and blood clots and hem hemorrhages and I, I believe even miscarriages that happened that that it's possible that that happened or happened in a time frame where it was right after they were intimate with someone who had made a safe and effective choice. So we can't rule it out. I mean, it, it's hard to think it can happen in any in, in those amounts, but what we're dealing with, the science behind the safe and effective choice is so far beyond what I thought humans were scientifically capable of. It's a, it's a little science fiction-y. I'm not quite sure. I mean, you've heard that whatever the military does is 30 years ahead of what is available to the civilian market. So maybe we really are that advanced. Um, maybe they have something that can do that. It, it sure seems that way. What is the purpose? What's um, the purpose? Um, okay, so it, it looks like depopulation, Ben. Going after fertility, 
That's that's what it looks like. And certainly there's enough people who have God complexes and an enormous power and wealth who have stated and and are continuing to state that the that their planet is has too many of us useless feeders eaters on it. Um, but I don't want to have that perspective um, cast any doubt on what I'm saying regarding safe and effective choices. So let's just say um, there's a scientific line of inquiry, which we're going down now, and then there is a socio-political, uh, philosophic, and my, maybe even spiritual conversation we could have at another time about why this is happening in the first place. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasia loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Do you know, do you know who Dr. Rashid, Rashid Buttar is? Yes. yes. He passed away a few months ago. I interviewed him right when 
everything started three years ago or so. Uh, it was like the first few months of the lockdowns and everything happening. And I got an interview with Dr. Rashid Buttar. It was an amazing interview that I ended up, um, my lawyer actually told me not to release because he said they were coming after him. They'll come after me. So I did a special screening for my email list on Zoom to reveal it, but it never got published, unfortunately. But uh, one of the things I asked him was, um, I, I said, do you, do you believe that there is a depopulation occurring? And he says, prove to me that there's not right with all the things that are happening and he, you know he's right there's no way i could prove like with all the things that have been happening with the way conventional medicine teaches us to do things that make us more sick i am inclined to be aligned with that theory that that thought process that you know there's some people that want to depopulate and this is a way to do it so hopefully that isn't that isn't um you know make people think that we're conspiracy theorists or anything but you know if you, the writing's on the wall when you look when you look there well, let me say this. Um, there was a study they did. I don't know if it's with mice or rats, where they give them all the food they could possibly want, no predators, and put them in a, uh, an enclosed location, right? And, you know, they, obviously the, the colony grew and grew, and then it outgrew its food source. And then some very reproducible events happened because they did the study a few times. You ended up seeing an increase in, in homosexuality. Uh, you saw an increase in infanticide. Uh, you saw an increase in murder, and then you saw uh, also uh, an increase in um, ab sexual abstinence. But all of these things go towards decreasing the population of, let's call them the, rat, the rats, right? Uh, homosexuality doesn't um, result in offspring. So if you have X percentage of the rat population that is no longer uh, sexually active with, with its opposite sex, you're going to lower the, uh, you're going to lower the population. Obviously, infanticide will do that. So will murder. And then you, they had the rats that they called the beautiful ones that would sit up in a corner and preen themselves, but never engage in sex. Uh, now, what do we see in our culture? We see chemicals that are confusing people's gender. Um, in Gaza, which is about 50% 50 50 of the population in Gaza is under 16. And I'm not here to say that, you know, either side is right or wrong. I think they're both ask, acting terribly. You know, I don't think you ever go after civilians. And, you know, all these people in Gaza, uh, well, uh, thousands of them are children, uh, right? So we, we see uh, across the board uh, and then giving safe and effective choices uh, to very young kids who have a 99.99999% survival rate, but far more side effects seems a bit ill-conceived. So what I think we're seeing is the human version of that rat experiment. So what happened to the rats was their the genetic switches were thrown that pushed their behavioral choices towards a place where they made less children, which brought down the uh, population pressure. And I think that the same thing is happening to us at a human level. Now, people who are making decisions at very high levels, at a global level, are really no different than the rats. They may have more intelligent ways of doing it, but it's the same pressure on them and their personality to lower what they perceive to be too high of a population. Although the high population is really only the cities. You go out to the countryside, there's plenty of room. But let's move on to to the science of what we can do for those who have made safe and effective choices. And I believe enough that for people who want to come to conclusions about why what has happened has happened, have had enough time and enough data put in front of them to make intelligent decisions of their own. 
I want to give in, uh, what I want to do is give information that hasn't been presented. Okay. So let's talk about how to deal with toxic proteins, right? So uh, no doubt some of the listeners have heard uh, that serapeptase will work. I'm sorry, natokinase. Uh, natokinase is an enzyme or a class of enzymes made by the bacteria Bacillus subtilis, uh, which is found in soil and is in the Japanese fermented dish natto. Uh, but natokinase isn't the only enzyme capable of breaking down uh, toxic protein. Serapeptase can also do that. That's the enzyme that butterflies use to break free of their chrysalis. Also, lumbrokinase, which is found in earthworms, and pancreatin, which is made in the pancreas. So of these four, we actually create one of them ourselves. Okay, so one could use just natokinase to break down toxic protein, but I'd like to use all four. And the reason I would like to do that is twofold. I want to not only break down the, the toxic protein, but I want to break it down into the smallest fragments I can. And if, so if we can break down some of those prion fragments so they don't cause problems, even better. So I think that a wide array of proteolytic enzymes that work in different ways increase our odds of breaking it down back down to amino acids so they no longer cause brain damage. The other benefit of using proteolytic enzymes is it is possible that we might be able to, um, well, we'll get back to that later. We're going we're gonna to swing back to another benefit of using proteolytic enzymes. Now, what about the prions? Remember I said that there were at least seven prions that were identified as fragments that came out of um, broken down toxic protein. So what we have is these otherwise water-soluble proteins with a little spike sticking out of it that's fat-soluble, so it sticks in the membranes that also allows it to crystallize, like amyloid plaque is made, you know, can be made out of these things. One thing you can do is you can bind or neutralize them with something called a cyclodextrin. So cyclo means circle, dextrin means sugar. So these are very tiny uh, sugars. The ones I use are, uh, you know, five and six sugar rings. And the, these sugar rings are non-metabolic, so you can eat them, but they won't generate energy for you. They won't cause any blood sugar uh, issues. And they're pretty innocuous in terms of metabolic function. However, the way in which these cyclodextrins, these tiny little sugar rings work, is that the inside of them is fat-soluble and the outside's water-soluble. So the ring, it's like a rig toss, right? The ring of the cyclodextrin goes onto the spike of the fat-soluble amino acid surrounding it and rendering the entire outside of it now water-soluble. So now these prions can be rendered water-soluble, which means that you can simply drink water and urinate them out. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so we've talked about um, how to deal with the toxic proteins and the prions they break into. Let's talk now about what we, you know, what we might do to get uh, at the cause of it. The foreign genetic material that was put in that a person accepted in their safe and effective choice. Okay, so the foreign genetic material, four things were done to it to have its effect. It was made more stable because normally in a human body, foreign genetic material is gone within about two hours. And the safe and effective foreign genetic material has shown stability at one month. It may very well, and I suspect lasts far longer than that. That's just the longest they've ever tested it at. So at least it lasts a month. I think it may last indefinitely. It's possible it never breaks down. Wow. 
hopefully the people that did the test in a month will go back and do the test of the year and two and three years because clearly it's we've had we have uh, subjects now in the human population that have had that foreign genetic material in them for three years and we should know so one thing is they made it more stable they did what's called they they did something by uh, shifting one of the molecules they turned it into what's called pseudo urodination uh, and they made it a pseudo urodinated molecule. So they just, uh, they altered a few key chemical bonds and just made it incredibly stable. The other thing that that particular chemical uh, transformation did is it made it very stealth, meaning the body can't see it because the body does have enzymes inside that are designed for breaking down foreign genetic material. But if it can't see it, it then that's a problem, right? So it can't see it. And if it does manage to see it, the body can't break it down because it's so stealth. The third thing they did is uh, they damaged what's called the stop codon. So if you have some genetic material, you know, a good genetic material, say mRNA from your own body, and it's in a strand, and then there's a, so the ribosome grabs on, it chugs along, and then making out, uh, extruding out the amino acids, it gets to the stop codon, and then it releases, the protein's folded and goes about its way. However, the pseudourodination process damaged the stop codon. So now it goes and it reads and it does what's called read through. And it keeps reading until, and then it stays at the end of it. And it doesn't necessarily even let go. So now you've got the ribosome and the foreign genetic material and they don't separate. That would be bad enough because you'd end up burning through ribosomes. But the issue is what they did, the fourth thing they did is they turned the strands into, into circles, into little ringlets. Now, I want you to imagine the ribosome grabs on to this foreign genetic material and starts chugging around in a circle. But when it gets to the stop codon, it reads right through it and goes again and again and again. So Ben, what ends up happening? I don't know what's happening. Their, their telomeres are shortening. Their DNA is getting damaged. Well, it, it means the ribosome never gets off the, the foreign genetic material and just keeps making it nonstop. Jeez. Right? So now it's just extruding out. It's like a machine gone mad, right? It just keeps shooting it out over and over, circling, 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 you know, like a broken record until the cell itself runs out of the raw materials to make toxic proteins. Because that's what the the information on the foreign genetic material is. It says make toxic protein, right? So it either runs out of raw materials and it stalls until it gets more in, which is now draining your body of all of you know of natural of your resources to make this increasingly long strand of toxic protein, or eventually the cell itself explodes like a like a pimple, I guess. It just blows open because the pressure inside from the, the toxic protein that keeps growing, just blows it open. And now you've got this enormously long uh, strand of toxic protein. Now, why do I say enormously long? Well, DNA is about six feet long, even though it's wrapped up in the cell. So the toxic protein won't be able to be that tightly wound, but it's not unreasonable to think you might, get a, think you might have a one foot long piece of a toxic protein in the cell that blows out. And so when you see people at autopsy and the, the autopsy, uh, the coroner's pulling out or the, um, the embalmer's pulling out these, you know, one foot long fibrous 
clots out of people's arteries, veins. Well, I think that's what it is. I think it's these enormously long toxic protein strands that have gotten in and bound with other ones and just made these enormous uh, blood clots. Wow. That is so sophisticated the way they designed this. It's like, it's brilliant in a way and downright evil. My gosh, this is just so sophisticated the way it was, the way that it was designed. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder who made this. So we've already discussed how to break down toxic protein and how to bind to the prion fragments. Uh, the, you break down the toxic protein with proteolytic en enzymes and you bind to it with cyclodextrins. What about the foreign genetic material? We don't want to be, you know, continually bailing out a boat with a leak in it. You want to plug the leak, right? We don't want to keep making toxic proteins. We've got to break the machinery that's causing that stuff to be constantly created if we can. So there's two ways to do this that I can think of. Of the enzymes that uh, I mentioned, uh, one of them, pancreatin, has enzymes called pancreatic ribonucleases in them, which can actually break down foreign genetic material. So if we could get that into our body, then that can help, that may support the body in being able to break down uh, foreign genetic material, uh, even if it's been pseudouridinated and is uh, very stable. The other thing is, uh, there are three other enzymes we talked about, and although I was not able to find any data showing that those three other enzymes would break down foreign genetic material, I don't see why they wouldn't. Uh, okay. So the last way, uh, so that's one other way. You can use the same proteolytic enzyme that break down the toxic proteins to break down the foreign genetic material. The other way is uh, through the lysosomes. Now, lysosomes are these uh, organelles in the cell, and their job is to take used up proteins and break them down for raw materials to use again. They are also there to break down certain types of toxins. But in the event that a toxin can't be broken down, they'll also just sequester them and hold on to them. So the lysosomes function as a recycling center, but also a landfill. But there's only so much space in there. So the more it acts as a landfill, the less it can be a recycling center. And so that's one of the reasons why fasting is so good. It's one of the only ways it will clean out the lysosomes of its junk. So you're like emptying out the landfill so it can start doing more recycling work for you which is, you know, recycling is another way of saying recycling is regenerating or getting younger. It's, it's dealing with the catastrophic garbage theory of aging, which is basically part of aging. is just a bunch of junk accumulating. Is this, so is this process included with autophagy is what you're re yes, referencing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That'll, that'll clean out the, the lysosomes. However, when you go and fast, even a 10 or 14 day water fast, there's some parts of the lysosomes you just can't clean out. So it turns out that cyclodextrins are fantastic at cleaning out lysosomes. They're actually orders of magnitude better than fasting. They get to places that fasting just can't get to. And mind you, I'm a huge fan of fasting. I continue to do it, you know, a two-week water fast every year. But cyclodextrins have pulled things out of me that fasting never got. So when you take cyclodextrins, assuming you're taking the right form, the alpha and the beta, then what you also can end up doing is cleaning, doing a deep clean of the lysosomes. And that empties out the landfill part of it and makes more room for other things to go in there, other things like foreign genetic material. So if a person has got stuffed lysosomes, then that foreign genetic material may not be able to get sequestered anywhere and it just keeps doing its dirty business. But if you can clean out your lysosomes, 
um, then your, the body may be able to say, well, I, I can't break down this foreign genetic material, but I know I, I've got a place I can put it where it won't cause any trouble. So that, that's the other thing. So uh, as such, the, the protocol that I offer for your consideration for people who've made safe and effective choices would be four enzymes, natokinase, serapeptase, lambrokinase, and pancreat, and then cyclodextrins, namely alpha and beta. Uh, there's a little bit of a challenge with this. The four enzymes, you can't just take them in a standard oral preparation because the enzymes are themselves proteins and our body is designed to break down proteins, which is what eating functionally is. When you eat protein, you break it down to the amino acids. So if we were to eat these enzymes, we might expect, say, 3% of them to get to our bloodstream. Most of it would get digested. And there is another way you can do this. Uh, you can take it as a liposomal, which is where you put something inside these little kind of lipid spheres, and then it goes across the membrane of the gut into the blood, uh, and the liver opens up the spheres, and then you've got it in the bloodstream, and now you're at 80 some odd percent absorption. So for all the benefits people have been getting by taking oral enzymes, beyond what it just does to digestion. I mean, a systemic metabolic benefit, that's at around three to 5% absorption. So imagine what you do when you push that up to 80, 85% absorption. So we have a product called Protolase. It's, it's a new product for us. And it's a liposomal preparation of those four enzymes. So then the other one would be cyclodextrins. Now cyclodextrins uh, are usually given by IV um, because they're not very well absorbed orally. Um, but I found a way, I, Tinkered with, um, I tinkered with them, and I found a way to get them uh, across the gut barrier intact. Uh, so we have that as a product called albidextrin, which has both alpha and beta cyclodextrins. So if you don't want to take an IV of cyclodextrins, we have it as a normal formulation. So these are some, some things to consider. I like natural medicine. I like using natural things to help people. And then these are all, of course, uh, natural well, cyclodectrins aren't natural. You get a little bit of them in, in beer and bread during the fermentation process of starches. But the other four things are natural. But what I would say is we live in a world where there's some very dark science going on. And, you know, uh, you're going to probably want to have someone who's a, a, who does some, you know, some of the good science, you know, one of the white hats in the science community to help you out with this because what we're dealing with has a lot of sophistication behind it. And uh, it is possible, I believe, to uh, navigate this minefield, but you really have to have a, a, a good map to know where to step to do this right. Hey, Keto Camper, what if there was an easy way to help detoxify your body, ease stress, unwind, and hey, even burn more calories? What I'm talking about is sauna usage. Now, there's a lot of studies that show the benefits of using a sauna, and it could be kind of complicated because they're expensive and typically you have to go to a facility to use a sauna. What I love about my sauna is that it's a blanket that I use at the comfort of my own home. I use the one from Bond Charge, and sauna blankets work by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories while you're relaxing, and you could burn up to 600 calories in one session. Sweating also helps flush out toxins like heavy metals from your body and elevating your heart rate while relaxing releases endorphins, which can leave you feeling euphoric. I feel like I just got a 60 minute massage when I get out of this thing. 
It works by using infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you like a traditional sauna. This means you get the same benefits at a lower heat. You also don't need to have your head in the heat like a traditional sauna. It's very easy to use. You can enjoy a session of 30 to 45 minutes while relaxing, reading, watching TV, or meditating. It's easy to clean. It's low EMF, especially compared to other brands out there. Simple and easy to get set up. And even more important, you, Keto Camper, are offered a nice coupon code for Bond Charges products, including their infrared sauna blanket. So head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to get 15% off your order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code in the podcast notes. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. I have a, a few questions. So the two products you mentioned, Protolace, Albodextrin, you could find that on Spencer's website, which is remedylink.com. We'll reference that in the notes down below. The questions that I have, where does um, testament fall here? Is this uh, just something different for histamines or would this also be beneficial to take? Because that's something that you've created for histamines. We spoke about, about that in our last episode. So where does testament fall here? Okay, so we know that toxic proteins are generating all sorts of dysfunctional reactions in the body. Among them are actually allergies. Allergies are one of the things that toxic proteins will generate. And so allergies are a histamine mediated reaction. And most people think that allergies are like we mentioned in a previous podcast, that allergies are, you know, my skin is itching or that food didn't agree with me or my eyes are watery or I've got this, I'm sneezing. But actually uh, histamine reactions happen in any tissue of the body. And I believe that most chronic conditions have an allergic component to them, right? Things you would never think of as allergies or allergies, like plaque in the arteries is an allergic phenomena in the artery. Uh, you know, irritable bladder, histocytosis cystitis is an allergy in the bladder. Um, you know, a person could, have, you know, fatty liver can be an allergy in the liver. Uh, one of the things that happens when a person is constantly in a state of allergic responses, their, their immunoglobulins go up. Now, immunoglobulins are the things that go after the, the toxins and, and the infections. And immunoglobulins are in relationship with something called albumin. Uh, the sum total of both of them can only reach a certain number in the blood. So if the immunoglobulins go up, the albumin goes down and vice versa. Now, if you get your blood work done, and it's a blood chemistry, not a CBC, but if it's a blood chemistry part of it, take a look at your blood albumin level. The higher that is, the better. So optimum health, and you'll rarely see it, would be say 5.0 or higher. Pretty darn good health is, you know, above average is 4.5. Kind of 4.4, 4.3 is what you see a lot of people walking around with. You know, 4.1 and the person starts to feel a little drained. 3.9 and people are starting to look at that person like, are you okay? Are you, are you under the weather? 3.5 and they've got a full-on disease process going on. The higher the albumin, the so albumin detoxifies the body uh it's the main detoxifier so when albumin is high you'll have see an increase in longevity health intelligence and physical beauty so when you look at a young kid with like glowing pink skin that's albumin below the skin surface you're seeing <laughs> or pregnant women right. too right uh you know i don't know about the albumin level in pregnant women i 
I'd have to look into that. I think I've seen it elevated, in it, but I, you know, I'm I'm gonna continue. I'm I'm looking at my. I wouldn't last... be surprised, right? Because you're because I mean, a woman, a pregnant woman, has to be it has to generate the best possible um, health for raising, a, you know, gestation. So when you when a person has made a safe and effective choice that has increased their allergic and inflammatory um, reactions, they are driving up their immunoglobulins and driving down their albumin and becoming, you know, and all those things are dropping in them. So to the degree that you can use some uh, protocol and you could consider Tessimet to um, help uh, work on normalize, uh, to support the body in normalizing histamine levels, then the, you may see the immunoglobulins normalize and then you may see the albumin come up and that's if you talk to people who've done a couple of you know, blood work a few times over the course of, say, a year or two, and you say, oh, your albin was low here, but it's really high here, they'll say, oh, yeah, gosh, I was feeling terrible then, but I was in great shape then. I was, felt like I could run a marathon. It's a, it's a wonderful kind of broad-spectrum measurement of just how vital and healthy you are is your albumin. That's a great thing to try to raise. Yeah, you know, you got me curious. So I'm looking at my <laughs> – I'm just pulling up my labs here, right? I just did uh... – a chemistry panel a month ago because I'm doing carnivore and I wanted to do it before and after carnivore. My albumin, my albumin was 5.1. Oh my gosh. You're a superstar. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I'm happy. Good job. I'm happy about that. And then I looked at my a year ago, December of 2022, it was 5.1. August of 2019, it was 4.9. Uh, so it was still pretty good, but it's, it's gotten better. So I'm doing something right is what I'm hearing. You sure are. Wow. How's your CO2 level? And I'm in level? a moldy home too. That's pre that's pretty right. crazy, huh? Yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs> what's your what's your CO2 level? That's another one that people don't know to look at. Let's see. Yeah, my CO2 level is 28. Ah, oh, 27, 28, perfect. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. Let's see where it was. Um, You'll see was people 20... with lower CO2. They're hyperventilating, and um, although they don't know it, but they're breathing too much. Uh, they're blowing up their CO2 and then they're ending up, you know, with anxiety and chronic fatigue and all sorts of weird and, and everything hurts more. Uh, That's levels. interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me because, I mean, they're just not getting enough uh, oxygen into their cells. Um, a year ago, it was 26. And then three years ago, it was 21, my carbon okay. dioxide. So okay. So whatever was going on for you when that was 21, that you, did you have a lot of anxiety and fatigue back then? I had fatigue. I had just um, a year prior to that removed my eight silver fillings and I was still going through detox. So yeah, I was going through some health challenges. That was 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on fixing that. How's your BU and creatinine ratio? That's another, you know, like the, the main things I like to look at, if I'm just going to quick look at someone's blood is I want to see their CO2 at 27. I want to see their, if it goes much above that, significantly higher, I'm starting to think maybe their lungs aren't working well at getting rid of CO2. Most people, it goes down when they get sick. Um, and you could study more about CO2 with the Bateco method. Uh, oh, I want yeah. to see their albumin. That's good. Yeah, I want their albumin as high as possible. And I want to make sure their kidneys are working because, you know, when the kidneys fail, it's not something you necessarily feel. Um, and it takes a long time to repair them. So you really want to catch that early. That makes sense. So my, my bun um, last uh, three weeks ago when I did this blood work was uh, 19. Do you have your BO and creatinine ratio there? 19 as well. The ratio? Uh, yeah, the bun creatinine ratios is 19, yeah. Mm, okay, so I'm, I'm not particularly thrilled with that. It's too high? <laughs> and that's, pro well, yeah. I eat a oh, lot well, of no, protein. I, I mean, I, all right, so I can't, I, I can't say it's too high because I'm not a doctor. Okay. Um, I could tell you that uh, I would like to see it um, a little lower. Is it because I'm eating a lot of protein? I'm, there you, there you have it. 
that's probably what's going on. Because I eat a lot of protein. The kidneys, the kidneys are probably being stressed out with too much protein. So, you know, uh, that, what, the challenge for me is that I do intermittent fasting and I have a condensed window. So I'm trying to get all my protein in, in the window. So what I'm hearing is probably better to spread out the protein. For you? For me, yeah. For this. Yeah, your kidneys aren't appreciating that, appreciating that at all. Yeah, a year ago was 14 and the ratio yeah, was that's 15. Good. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the only things I've ever seen that is that how, uh, helps repair kidneys is um, calcium-free EDTA. And you know our metacardium, which we have both as suppository and as an oral capsule, has, uh, has EDTA, um, calcium-free EDTA. I actually take one capsule of that every morning just to keep my kidneys happy. Interesting. Well, I have it in my fridge, so I'm going to take some now. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, and the other thing you can look at um, is why don't you take a look at your stool pH? Because if you've got that much protein going in, it's possible you're not digesting as much as you're eating, and some of it's um, turning. You're eventually creating ammonia and clostridium overgrowing in the large intestine. So you might. Um, that's another test to, to suggest that maybe um, it would be better if you to do smaller, more frequent amounts rather than blast yourself. Yeah, I just did a stu- I just did a stool test too on the day one of carnivore. So I'm waiting for those results. I don't know if somebody give me. Yeah, depending. You know, a lot of them won't give you pH. Um, it, so if it doesn't, you know, just take a pH paper and, you know, check it. Uh, you know, 6.8 is what you want. Um, you start getting above 7, and that's alkaline. And the only way the stool can get alkaline, considering how many short-chain uh, fatty acids, how many acids are in stool, is if it's being overwhelmed basically by ammonia. Interesting. What, what else can I do to help break down protein, taking uh, digestive enzymes? I think for you it's not so much. Uh, I mean, your stool test is going to show you, you know, whether you've got um, undigested proteins and what your enzyme levels are and that kind of thing. I think for you, it's just, I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting. I mean, look, any fasting is good fasting. I don't mean to say it's not a good thing, but I think that you're starting to see for yourself, some of the the issues that you're having with it uh, is it it kind of rings the bell of your body. It rocks your body, right? It's a stressful thing. Um, What I prefer is one 14 day water fast once a year, because there are things you won't get to on one day or two days or three days of fasting that you will at 7, 10, and 14. So it's sort of like you're almost teasing yourself metabolically. You know, you're going through the stress of the fast, of the fast, but without getting some of the really great benefits that you'd get if you pushed it a little bit farther. But you're pushing, you know, you're stressing the body out and, and, and you know, the, your kidneys, I think, are, um, you're going to want to see that because 19 is, is um, it's, it's going, I think what's important is that um, your next test that comes down. This is really important because my uh, we, we emphasize eating protein, animal-based protein, especially for postmenopausal women, right, as a way to prevent muscle loss, bone uh, to help with bone density and just uh, lean muscle mass. And it's just important for every human to have proper lean muscle mass. However, you can kind of see the the problem here, uh, at least for me, right, with my bun being uh, on the high end and my bun to creatinine ratio being on the high end at nineteen. You want to see that, what, at 15 or below is what you said? You know, a lot of times what you can do is you can just take the high and the low and kind of split the difference and look in the middle and aim towards that. That's true for a number of things on a blood test. Uh, It's not true for things like um, CO2 and carbon dioxide where you actually do want them higher. And Um, and albumin. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, CO2 and and, uh, albumin, I meant, yes. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'd like to see the BUN a little bit lower. Uh, Again, I'm not saying that your total amount of protein should change. I'm just saying the 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 high doses all at once is you know it's rocking your kidneys, right? Yeah. So for so for those who are doing OMAD one meal a day chronically, 
test your bun and bun creatinine ratio. And I would imagine it's probably high because you're trying to fit it all in in one meal. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. You know, and also, um, although I haven't personally seen it, someone that I, I respect who had decades of experience in the field uh, told me that um, OBAD will also cause some challenges to the gallbladder. That it's just, you know, it's just too much at once. To process all the fat all at once as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that could make sense. Yeah. Um, anything else you want before we wrap this up? I have one final question. Anything else that you want to add to this conversation here? Um, no, other than congratulations on a 5.1 albumin. That's just spectacular. <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, thank you. I'm happy with it too. Um, Spencer, last question for you is about gratitude. I asked you last time about vitamin G, which is my favorite supplement. What are you grateful for right now? Uh, I'm grateful for the conversation I'm having with you. That's, it's, you know, and the opportunity to uh, share some of this research, you know, with people. Um, you know, if I just sit here, um, you know, behind my desk and pouring through medical journals and, and kind of uh, connecting the dots, um, well, okay, but unless I can meet up with someone like yourself who who's, has um, the gift of being able to understand how to connect with, uh, you know, people, large groups of people, my work goes nowhere. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for doing all the research that you do. I, I just, I, I always learn from you. My audience does as well. We're, we're very grateful for you. Thanks for also putting it together in a product that we don't have to figure it out and worry about contempt, contaminated items. So your products are incredible. I've been using them for years. Dr. Pompa is the one who got me on board with you. So your website is remedylink.com to check out the products mentioned and other products that you have. Not only are the products there, but you also list the research. You have videos for each product. You have detailed notes for each product. And I do appreciate that as somebody who's looking at different supplements. You guys do a good job giving all that info and why you put it together. So everybody go check that out. Uh, your social media is at, is it at Remedy Link on Instagram? Would you believe I'm old school? I don't have any social media. No social media. Yeah. So just go straight to the website. I believe that you're old school because that's the way you roll. Um, so we decided um, to add a bonus section to this wonderful interview because we were talking offline and we're like, you know, you said we got to hit record and add this to the conversations. For those who stuck around, you got a bonus section here. What were you about to say, Spencer? Okay, so a uh, hundred or so years ago, somebody figured out that if you took cheap cottonseed oil and you bubbled it through like hydrogen gas and nickel, and they're both metals, hydrogen is actually a metal, even though it's in a gas form, that it would hydrogenate and you could turn it from a liquid to a solid. And that's the creation of Crisco, which was a big seller a hundred years ago because it, it was very shelf stable and some people were fine with it. But of course, you know, Crisco is incredibly toxic to the body, right? Well, um, the same process happens inside the body. Metals inside the body, because uh, we're always getting exposed to metals. Uh, heck, you know, I got a hair test and I found I had high levels of aluminum. I'm like thinking to myself, I live off grid. I eat all organic. I, I, you know, spring, you know, fresh spring water that I've tested, where am I getting aluminum from? Is it chemtrails? And then I figured, oh, I grind my own flour. I bet the, 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 the stones that I'm grinding the flour with, those are synthetic. I bet those are aluminum based. And that's what, right? So it's like, you, know, you never know where you're getting metals from. You tell you, anyway, that's why I continually, you know, do a, a metal detox every day. But in any case, so we're always exposed to metals and metals cause the lipids of our own body to turn to Crisco, just like it turns in a big vat at a food industrial facility, it turns cottonseed and soy oil into hydrogenated fat. So uh, the fats in our bodies are, are turning into Crisco. And so 
we have to not only get rid of the Crisco, get rid of the causes of the Crisco. So like in, this, in the last video, we said not only do we have to get rid of the toxic proteins, but the foreign genetic material generating toxic proteins. Well, in this case, we not only have to get rid of the hydrogenated fats in our tissue, the, the Crisco, but also what's causing it, which is the metals. Now, the metals, um, you know, we have a number of um, chelators on our website you can look at, but it also turns out that cyclodextrins, the same things that bond to prions, uh, can bond to Crisco. They can basically make Crisco water soluble again, and you can pee it out. So all that hydrogenated fat in the arteries and the heart and the liver and the brain, you can pee it out if you have access to cyclodextrins. And so that's the, the bonus that we were talking about. So that that's super interesting. So so would that include linoleic acid, other other vegetable oils that are stored in our body fat? Would that include that? Can we use this to pee it out too? Well, it's really good at taking crystallized fats and solubilizing them, right? So what happens with cholesterol? What happens with cholesterol? And this could be a whole. This is actually a whole hour long talk. Um, maybe, maybe maybe why don't we save this for another talk? Because the whole process by which so what happens is. Uh, these toxic metal, metals get in, they cause the fats to denature, the denatured fats crystallize, the white blood cells get called in to deal with the crystallizations, but they can't deal with them, so they die. When a white blood cell dies, it sends out an emergency alarm to other white blood cells saying, hey, we need help, and they come, and that, and but then they get over to the crystallized fat, and then they die, but then they call out for more white blood cells to come, and then they die. That are what are called, that's what creates what are called foam cells, which is what plaque in the arteries is made from. So arterial plaque is made from the partially from the dead bodies of the white blood cells trying to get rid of the Crisco. Right? So you can increase the solubility of these toxic fats like 150,000 fold with cyclodextrins. So it's a great way of clearing out. Uh, but if you're, if for what you're saying, you say, well, what about the alpha linoleic acid? That the better way to deal with that is what's called a membrane flush. And so 80 years ago, 90 years ago in Germany, they started giving IVs of bile into the arteries because bile is a natural fat solvent. And it would cause people to pee out their, their, you know, it would flush their membranes clear of their toxins. It would, talk, it would get their old toxic lipids out of them. And then they would rebuild them with phosphatidylcholine afterwards. I do have a product um, I make called Colophage, which is liposomal bile. So it's, I'm not making it to work in the gut. I'm using it to support bile levels in the bloodstream so that it can then go and deal with all these toxic fats. So to your question, can cyclodextrins deal with alpha-linoleic uh, alpha acids? Yes. However, perhaps an additional way to work on that that might actually be better for that particular fat, although cyclodextrins can go after them, would be to pair it with something like our col colophage product, which is a uh, liposomal bile product, because bile is what the body makes to naturally solubilize those type of fats and oils. And then what you're doing is you're basically doing a rinse and wash cycle. You're saying, okay, I'm going to pull out these old toxic fats, make them soluble, pee them out. And then eight to 12 hours later, you take, you know, lethicin or phosphatidylcholine to rebuild the wall. So don't do this kind of membrane flush, you know, or membrane cleaning without also doing membrane building. You have to do both. Otherwise you can strip your body out of too much of the toxic fat. You have to also replace it with good fats. We'll do another episode where we'll take a deep 
deeper dive into this. So thanks for the bonus uh, content right there. I hope everybody enjoyed that. We'll bring Spencer back. So thanks again, Spencer. Sure thing. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I told you it, it was going to be crazy. Uh, I had just goosebumps throughout. And look, if you know somebody who's gotten vaccinated and they are dealing with some stuff, please share this with them. And even if they're not dealing with, with stuff, if they've gotten vaccinated, this could just be a good proactive approach. So please share this episode with them. The YouTube version is on YouTube. The video version is on youtube.com slash ketocamp. Spencer's website is remedylink.com for all the products mentioned and other products that we'd even talk about. I love his products. I take them daily. His um, doesn't really have social media. So just go to remedylink.com and check out the products. Every product has a whole bunch of resources attached to it, videos and information and, and science, et cetera. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review. Go get registered for that toxicity training if you haven't done so already over at toxinsmasterclass.com. Love and appreciate you, Keto Camper. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.